0: Last week, we discussed the factor of Chilul Hashem in p'sak, and we outlined the ways in which it both affects the way we posken local halachic issues and functions as a form of shahat chak of extenuating circumstances, that mold the way that a posek formulates his final understanding of a halachic issue, and other cases in which Chilul Hashem is itself the motivation to institute a particular rule, to refrain from an activity which otherwise would be entirely permitted. Today I want to address another factor that sometimes functions as an extenuating circumstance, if not the classic extenuating circumstance that is discussed by Poskim, while also functioning as a meta-value that influences the way halachic rules were instituted in the first place. And that's the rule of Chesed Merubah. Or broadly speaking, the question of monetary concern that the Torah has, or concern that the Torah has for the monetary well-being of the Jewish people. Now, there are two different formulations in the Inchazal that discuss the ways in which or the reasons that Halacha takes into account the monetary concern of the Jewish people. Uh, often one will find in Psak the phrase of have said Merubah that because of great monetary loss, so we are lenient, or that when there is a loss, so one does not forbid. And there are other places in Chazal where the Torah says that That the Torah is concerned about the monetary well being of the Jewish people. So um, for example, Certain leniencies that the the Torah has in terms of negat uh, zarat in a bayit, the Chazal understand uh, as being derived from the rule of at Torah Chazal Mamonam, Shel Yisrael. In Menachot Ayin Vav, the Gemara discusses that the fact that Hashem wanted to ensure that the animals of the Jewish people would be fed and would get water teaches us HaTorah Al-Mamona Yisrael and many of the poskim and the truth is that this first appears in the Yerushalmi in Trumot, Perek Chet Connect these two principles of Hatarah Chasa Amamonam Shil Yisrael, the fact that as a meta value, we believe that Hashem cares about the monetary concern of the Jewish people, with the fact that in Psalm we often find leniencies that are related to Hafsed Merubah. Now, as I said, there's good reason to believe that this is the classic. Case of, uh, of Sharat Chak. And in fact, if one goes through the post skim, one will find that many post skim, and this is found, um, one can look in the klali psak of the Shach and elsewhere, one will find that while many post will be lenient to, in certain circumstances, they'll be even more lenient if the Sharat Chak in question isn't just some extenuating cir- cir- circumstance, but is particularly monetary. Um, Sharat Chak. Because of this belief that this may be uh, unique, but what I want to discuss before the details of hefset maruba is, as I said, the way in which it functions at two levels, and this is a point that is articulated in the Chuvod bechlomo yordea siman kuf pevav, and more clearly. And more recently, in the Chuvot of Rubashar Weiss, in Shut, um, Minhar, Asher, Chelikbet, Chuvannun, where he presents this thesis. And after going through several contradictions in terms of when Hasid Merubah seems to be uh, invoked and when it's not, and noting certain cases in which the rule seem to be violated. He presents the thesis that Hefid Maruba really means two very different things. And he writes as follows Nir El Khawra Dinim Yesh There are two separate rules that can be intended when we talk about Hefseh or monetary concern. When you find cases in which Chazal care, Chazal articulate the concern. So that seems to be not a leniency, but rather a case in which monetary loss or monetary concerns was the fundamental principle that drove Chazal to formulate the rule. It was a motivational Principle in terms of the structuring of the very law itself. And if that's the case, In such cases, one can expect that there might be leniences that seem to even go against the halacha, Because if this isn't just a shahatcha, It's not just a case in which the Poseik is trying to formulate his position in as lenient a way as possible within the the sources that can be read with integrity. But rather, this is the way it was formulated. So then, it's not a violation of the law. If Chazal said this is the rule when there's no monetary problems, when there's no counter-pressures, and this is the rule when there is, so then, you can be much more expansive in the cases in which you are going to be lenient, as this is part and parcel of the rule fundamentally. Ach bimakomot rabim, he continues. Sheba poskim hem sheik kilu bimakom have said mi rubeh. Ein ze miderech takana elaminitiatalev Biswara. But there are other cases when it's not Chazal. It's not the formulation of the rule itself. Now we can add to Rav Asher Weiss it's not even just Chazal. As we noted, some of the cases invoked by the Gemara seem to imply that the biblical laws in a certain sense, without getting into the broader question of Darshin and time the crowd, were motivated by God's concern for, uh, for Hafsidh in such cases so it would be more expensive but when it's the poskim meaning Hefseh is not functioning as the rationale for setting up a rule but rather it is something the Posik is taking into account in to determine the type of direction he should take so then so there so he's here commenting on a comment of the Ramah, then perhaps we cannot go against Halakha, we can be more mekil. we can follow positions that we don't normally follow, but maybe are fundamentally uh, correct. But we can't... Um, we can't go against the Halakha. And he notes that this does seem to be the simple understanding of the Gemarni Irufim um, as, as well. And I think that this model is helpful uh, to understand um, many other uh, halakhot because one finds this type of argument um, in other places as well. Um now I'll note that it's that Weiss has a particularly clear formulation of this, but it, it does seem to be inherent in other pla implicit in other places, as Ravashar notes it seems to be implicit in the uh, the Beit Shlomo. um but as I note, I think you could go even farther than Ravasher and say that this might be true even perhaps um. Sort of at the at the biblical level, uh, as well. So, for example, the Radbaz writes in Chelagimel and Tafmim Aleph that the reason that the Gemara tells us that God allows people to test Him when it comes to the mitzvah of Maser, normally God does not want us to test Him to see whether we will get schar for filling the mitzvah, the Chazal say that when it comes to Maser, or perhaps Staka in general, the Hanuni you're allowed to test me, um, you're allowed to test me when it comes to this. And the Radbaz says that the reason seems to be that God cared about the Aniyim, he cared about the poor people, and therefore, God was willing to set up in the law itself the possibility that we could test him. And that seems to be, again, it's not exactly the formulation of a biblical law as much as, a, let's say, a detail with, as Chazal understand within a biblical law. But the point is that this notion of hefset, of monetary concern, for the Radbaz is not just a reason that poskim would be ill, but it's a reason that perhaps in the very rule, let's call it the rule that forbids us from testing God to see whether we'll get Skar for being the kayim, the mitzvah. the Radbaz believes that that rule, it's normally prohibited, but God made an exception to the fundamental rule. When I came to Tzataka, in order to motivate people to take care of the poor. Now, Ravasha Weiss notes that there are cases where Chazal used this as a motivation. Now, this can either be cases in which Chazal said the halacha is X normally, but Bimakum have said it's Y. Or, to take perhaps an even more overarching example, the Isr of Malachah, Ah, Nechol now there is a machloket rishonim whether the limitations that we have on chalam Khalamoe, which are similar to those of Yom Tov, with five exceptions. Things that are Lutzarach Amoe, things that are for Yom Tov, things that are for a mitzvah, and for our purposes, the most important is to prevent monetary loss, when there's going to be significant monetary loss, so then there are permissions to perform milacha on Chol HaMu'ed. So there's a machoket rishonim whether the prohibition against milacha to the extent that it exists is biblical on Chol HaMu'ed, and these exceptions are fundamentally included, or it is rabbinic, or the third possibility, which is presented by Rav Asher Weiss building on comments of several Rishonim, such as the R'an, um, that there is a third category called Nimzara Davar Lechachamim, when the biblical law itself was instituted by God in such a way that there were certain malleable principles where the rabbis, as counterintuitive as it sounds, within biblical law, have the power to actually Function um, as legislators and legislate the parameters of the biblical law itself. So you have these three possibilities. But whether you think it's biblical, nimsara davar or Dirabanan, there, as I said, one of the major categories of exception is makom Said when there is a loss. And there again is an institutional example where this concern for monetary loss either affected the biblical, rabbinic, or somewhere in between articulation of the law itself rather than the formulation. Um, and I would note that it's not only this biblical, rabbinic layer in which you see this principle of Hafsad meruba motivating the formulation of laws But the fact that this principle existed motivated Poskim in many generations to make their own Takano, to make their own policy concerns, to follow in the footsteps of de Rabanan, where they view monetary concerns, the concern for the monetary well being of Klal Yisrael as a reason to actually institute certain rules to take a relatively famous example the Mishnah Brura writes in Siman Reish Meim Bet, Bet um, as follows he writes gam tov dagim. he's talking about the meals on Shabbat that you should have two cooked foods and you should have Fish, which was con- is considered a quality food, in Lo Shainotimlofitivo, unless you don't like fish, um or it's not good for you um, because Shabbat is Looneg and not Litsar. But then he notes that Imohre Dagim Miakrin Hashar Nachon Litaken Shloiknu Dagim Aza shabbatot ad Chiamod hashar al mikamo. But he says, if there's a place where people where the fish sellers are gouging the prices, so then the right thing to do is to not buy fish for a week or two until they bring the prices down to normal. And he notes that the Premagadim quotes as well the possibility of making a takanami shum Aniim Um, and then he goes on to say that if they made this Takana and someone had already bought fish before, then it would be permitted, showing how seriously he took this Takana, that he has to find a head there for someone to violate the Takana if he already bought fish. And what you see here as well is that this notion that Hef said that monetary concern for the Jewish people should motivate the formulation of policy, motivation to formulate law itself wasn't just true at the biblical level rabbinic level <coughs> meaning at the level of Chazal but even in later generations you have Poskim as l- late as the brura suggesting that we should set up Takanot and the truth is that there have been even more recent attempts in certain communities and certain Hasidish groups are known that the Rebbe or the Rabbanim in the community have instituted that weddings should be kept within a certain price range to not make it too onerous on members of the community. Certain Hasidish Rebos will make rules that they won't attend a wedding if the price tag on the wedding was too high. And what you see, as Rav Weiss articulates, <clears throat> is that this principle that the Torah cares about the monetary well-being of the Jewish people. A Torah ma monam shel Yisrael and its connection to have Segmi Rubez, the Yerushalmi notes, manifests itself in these two very different ways. One is that the fact that this is a meta-value within halachic discourse tells you that it is the guiding principle behind the very institution of certain laws. We saw again in the Radbaz the possibility that this may be true at the level of biblical law, sort of. In this limitation on testing God, which doesn't apply for the Radbaz, uh, when it comes to Tztaka, um, because of the Takan And to be fair, even in some of the original cases in the Gemara, the limitations on certain Um that the Chazal seem to understand that some of the limitations that were that were put on it are because of the, of this rule. Um and then, from the example of Chalamoet, where we noted that the fact that one of the exceptions to Melachah is Hafseid Meruba, which, again, according to some Rishonim, will be more evidence of the fact that that biblically is formulated with the concern for the well-being of the Jewish peoples monetarily in mind for those Rishonim who think that it's rabbinic. This is a perfect example of rabbinic law that's instituted to take care of the financial stability of the Jewish people, if you think that it's that middle category of so it's somewhere in between. Um, and what I noted from the Mishnah Brura and from these uh, these takanot that are in certain communities, the poskim took their cue from Chazal and from the Torah to say that if hatorah chasam amonim Israel Yisrael hefse meruba is a legitimate principle in the formulation of law, so then we should continue to make takanot that are inspired by and influenced by our concern for the monetary well-being of the Jewish people. However, as I said, this concern functions at two levels. One is at the level of the formulation of law, which is actually, I think, the bigger chidush. But, as I said, this is also perhaps the paradigmatic case of Shad hak, where it motivates post scheme to invoke Kulo, um and look for ways of being lenient to protect the monetary well-being of the Jewish people. So to take a particularly clear formulation of monetary losses' role in this regard, I turn to the Me'iri in <laughs> Chul and Bet. The Me'iri writes, Whenever a halachic issue comes before a posseic, lahatir birevach. And you can easily permit below machloket. Misha ra'ul es mochalav. It's easy to be lenient. Ain ra'ul lo lehit chasid olachazer achar hachumro yoter migdai. He shouldn't look for too many chumro. Ella yachos al mamonam yisrael. He should care about the money of the Jewish people. Sha'af haTorah chazam mamonam shel yisrael. Because the Torah itself cared. How do we know? And here he comes back to the example that we mentioned from Batim, Kemosh Amru Batorat Kohanim, as the Torah Kohanim says, Midrash Alakhanvaikra, Bitsiva Kohen. If you knew Arabayim term Yabokoim, they wrote it on Nega. That the Torah tells us that you should clear out the house of the vessels that are in the house before. The Kohen comes to declare that the house is Tameh because nothing becomes Tameh until the Kohen declares it. Why? So, Ama Chasa Tarashlo Yomar Kohen Tameh, Chiu Kalim Chutzla Bait. And the, to- and the chazal understand why did they do why is this true and why do we say clear it out? Because we don't want more things to become tamay than have to be. Then it's absolutely necessary. Even if the person is a sinner and that's why he's getting sarat in his house. It doesn't matter. And therefore you wait at you imal bigadimu alo el al Now Chazal clarify that perhaps we, if it was just effort if it was just kalim that could be purified in the mikvah so that the Torah would allow we would be okay in conveniencing the person whose house has tzorah if that's what it was but why is the Torah so concerned that you should clear out the house before the coming comes because there are some kalim which are made of pottery and the like that do not have taara, they must be broken and destroyed if they're tame. And if you see that the Torah cares about the stingy, not such great people, the person here is getting sarat on his house. And I think this formulation, the meiri, is perfect to articulate what we've been saying that. Even if it's true, as Rav Asher Weiss notes that these monetary concerns function in two very different ways. One's in terms of motivating law and the second is in terms of pushing post scheme in certain directions, not embrace extra chumrot, to perhaps look for kulot that they wouldn't invoke. Under normal circumstances. In the end of the day, these two usages of this principle are not wholly distinct. And the Mi'iri notes that the reason that we know that a poseik should try to be lenient when possible. Is because as the Torah as Khazal as understand it, the Torah formulated its own laws to pay attention to and care about the financial well being even of people who aren't necessarily the, the biggest Sadiqim. And once we know that that even motivates the formulation of law in the Torah, and Rabbana and Takanot, then it must also affect the way that a Poseik approaches the Halacha. And if the Torah cares so much about the financial stability of the Jewish people, so then a Poseik has to take have that sensibility and this should become a guiding rule in how he paskins, and therefore you see that Hef said, hatorah amonam she functions at these two very different le- levels but they influence each other and the fact that it exists at the legislative layer at the layer of formulating biblical and rabbinic law is what teaches us according to the Me'iri that a posik must be sensitive to it when he formulates um, his psak, and from the eerie it at least affects his posture, his orientation as a posaic that he definitely shouldn't be looking for chumrat. It's also worth noting that sometimes this rule is invoked to actually rely on minority positions to invoke the full circumstance of psikad um, halacha However, as the Me'iri already hints at, even within this layer of psikad there are really different ways that we could talk about this. One would be the classic case of psikad which is where one thinks the halacha is most likely X, but when push comes to shove, he's willing to rely on a less likely position or the like. But the Me'iri formulates yet another sub-rule within that, which is that at the very least, even if we're not talking in that layer, sometimes post-game look for Homra or are, are quick to jump to Chomraot, um, and there I mean, he says for sure because of the concern of Hefsa and Merubah, a poseik should definitely not be looking for stringency and it's not always 100% clear which rule, which type of motivation in psak a poseik is talking about if he's talking about actually relying on a minority position a special because of the of the extenuating circumstances or if you're just not looking for uh, for, for Chumrah um, and sometimes it will be near impossible to actually parse which one it is um, and if you look at the Hakdam of the Ramat the Sefer Tart Chata he notes that Sometimes in the Ramah he'll write That sometimes he writes You should be lenient when there's monetary loss Or for a poor person Or for Shabbat And he says that in those cases He often meant If not always He said those were cases where I thought It was really permitted 100% but there were The were Machmir. And therefore, I felt that when there was loss, so then you should follow the Iker Halacha. Then why did I call it Kavod Shabbat and come up with a different kulot? So he says. He quotes from the Mary Mints that the minog of Poskim was to be a little bit unclear and to come up with these formulations rather than say, look, this is always really mutter, but it's good to be Machmir, like the positions that are Machmir, but if there's if it's for Shabbos, if there's loss, so then you should follow the Ikr Halacha, we come up with Kula that make it sound like this is a special Takana, or a special Kula that's being pulled out for Kavot Shabbat or hefsid Merubah. That type of language is not infrequent in post And therefore, even when this secondary level of Hafsid Merubah that which motivates the way in which a posek paskins, rather than, than formulates and legislates even there you have these two formulations that sometimes it's a reason to motivate lenient psakim, to rely on minority positions and the like and sometimes it's a reason just to not look for Chumra to accept the Iker Halacha and, and not worry about multiple layers of Chumrah that have been uh, accumulated, um, but the follow-up of what you think the, the Ikar Halacha uh, is. Um, so what we've seen is that often, and Hefzid Maruba is a good case um, in which to, to see this, the same, there are principles that function in many different ways within Psa. They can fo- They can motivate the way in which law is articulated and legislated in the first place, perhaps even a biblical, on the biblical level, and definitely in the rabbinic layer, and later takanot, uh, as we saw in the case of Sarad um, on the house on the biblical level, allowing. God allowing us to test Him when it came to Tzedakah, again at the biblical level, Cholam which is possibly biblical, possibly rabbinic, and then even at the later, later, later levels of Takanot, such as we saw in Mishnaburah with the fish for Shabbat, and some of the attempts to, to put limits on spending for weddings. And then those same principles, that once we know that the Torah cares about these principles so much that they that they affect the very legislation of law, So then, they also influence the way in which we paskin. And there, again, it subdivides into two. On the one hand, sometimes the principle may legitimate us relying on kulot, relying on minority positions, and the like. And in certain circumstances, it simply motivates us to not look for chumrot, or not to be worried about accretions of chumrot and minhagim that have been piled on to the, the halacha itself and those are very different saying that we can be more lenient than we, than we would under normal circumstances because we think the halacha is really l'chumra but we can eke out a heter if necessary or saying really the halacha is its mutter but when there's no counter-pressure, we would prefer to be Mahmir. but as soon as there's a counter-pressure, we'll allow you to rely on the ikar halacha. Those are obviously very different formulations. But both of those formulations are found often with many of the factors in psikar halacha b'sharat haq, and in hef Miruba in specific. Um, and as we noted from the Torah chatat, Often it's not entirely clear which of the latter two submodels are being invoked because, um, in much of halachic writing, in classic halachic writing, postkim intentionally blurred uh, the lines, knowing that they were writing to or speaking to um, people who were not necessarily Tamidei Chachamim um, and might not understand uh, this. Fine uh, nuance. And that admittedly does sometimes make it unclear which of those two latter uh, principles or, or related principles are being invoked by post scheme. In this year, we will not be able to cover all the details of what exactly counts as half said and when we invoke it, but at least these two and a half slash three models should be taken as instructive when thinking about the other types of meta-principles that motivate halachic formulation and the adjudication of halachic issues.